Christ's personal ministry here on earth. And what I want us to think about this morning is more particularly how Jesus went about his ministry of the word, that Jesus preached the gospel everywhere, that he ministered to all kinds of people. Jesus' ministry was marked and distinguished by the fact that he ministered to those who were the outcasts, to those who were looked down upon. Constantly, the the complaint from the Pharisees and the leaders, the religious leaders of the day was, he eats with publicans and sinners. Their complaint wasn't just the message that Jesus was delivering, the word that he was teaching, but also the kind of people that he was associating with and the kind of people he was delivering the message to. Jesus' ministry also was marked by the fact that it wasn't always a targeted ministry to individual subjects who bore evidence of some specific need or some specific susceptibility to the message. Jesus went into a city and he healed all those who were sick. He went into a city and he preached to all those who would hear him. And the rejection of the gospel was not a a lack of the gospel being presented, but it was actually that, rejection. Those who turned and walked no more with him, those who walked away from him. And I say all of that because it's important that we as professing believers have a ministry and a life that is equivalent to that in our day. We're not given the message of the gospel to proclaim only to those who already believe it. We're not given the word of God to share only with those who come to us seeking help or asking for a word of hope. We're not given the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ to hide it, as it were, under a bushel and only share it with those who provide some particular warrant for us to share it with them. Our ministry, like Jesus, should be one that is a broadcast ministry, proclaiming and sharing what God has done for us to all those that we encounter. People who meet us should realize that they have come in contact with someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what the disciples, the apostles, were marked by in their ministry as they went forth preaching in the book of Acts. You remember that it was noted of the apostles that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Christ. And as much as we might desire understanding and knowledge and education, and as much as it's good that we search out the truth and the word of God, that we study the scriptures, that we know the message, that we know the theology, it's more important that it be known of us that we have been with Christ, that we know Jesus Christ, that our belief is more than just a series of doctrines, more than just a religion that we follow but it's an actual intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the living and reigning Savior. And that's something that's not known by words alone. It's known by our trust in him, by our active life in Jesus Christ. And that's what ministry is about. And that's why in the New Testament scripture, as the church is addressed, we find messages to the church saying that we need to be warned against Pride. We need to be warned against being lifted up. We need to be warned against thinking that we are something special in and of ourselves. 
And then, of course, in the book of James that you all just finished studying through, it's brought so much to bear as James brings it home to the New Testament church. He says, don't make special note of those who come in dressed in fine clothes, of those who come into your assembly and they seem to be something. Don't make note of that and treat them better than you do the weakest and the poorest in your midst. Why is that? Because that's how Jesus ministered. He ministered to those who were in need. He preached his gospel to those who were poor, to those who mourned, to those who were what? Sinners. And how much more ought we to be kindly affectioned to those who are sinners? Why? Because we ourselves know ourselves to be sinners. We know what it is to need a Savior. We know what it is to daily need forgiveness, to daily confess our faults one to another, confess our sins to God. And we know what it is to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The ministry of Christ was not only broadcast to all, it was not only a ministry that affected all that he came in contact to, it was not only a ministry that affected the weakest, the most poor, the most insignificant in his society, but it was a ministry that did real good, that affected real change. As Christians in our society today, there's so much danger that we might say all the right things, that we might speak truth in a world that's full of darkness and untruth, but do it in a way that makes no real difference. Beating our chest, screaming at the top of their lungs, we have the truth. Proclaiming a gospel, but not influencing society and not changing people's lives. That's of no real value. When we're commanded in the scripture to speak the truth in love, why is that? Well, it's because speaking truth is one thing, but speaking it in love, in a heart of compassion, in a way that is heard that's meaningful, actually changes people and actually draws people in to truth. James talks about this as well in James chapter 2. If you remember, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he had faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? True faith in Jesus Christ, true belief of his word, true emulation of his ministry will cause our ministry, our labor, our work to translate into works that do good, that benefit people. Evidences of God's work in us will be found in our influence on those around us. And James here warns, there's no value to say you believe, to say you're a Christian, to say you have truth if it's only words. The works follow. And how do the works follow? Well, Jesus Christ, though he was God, though he knew all things, though he had all power, Jesus Christ in his word, it's recorded was continually moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. 
and we read in the Hebrew letter that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We have a high priest that can be touched, moved with compassion. So what is our attitude toward sin in our society? And more particularly, what's our attitude towards sinners that we encounter in our life? Is it one of criticism, of judgment? Is it one that says, I thank God I'm not like those people? I thank God I'm better than them? Or is it a compassionate heart? One that says, but for the grace of God, that were me. And the same God who has worked salvation in my life can take the worst of the worst and lift them up and make them a light that would shine forth for his glory. And how does that change our approach to life daily? And that's what we really need to consider. Application becomes most important in this case. How does that change the way we live our lives, the way we look upon the world in which we live? When we're considering the debauchery of our society, when we're considering how evil seems to triumph on the right and left, when we consider the changes in our own community and how they affect us on a day-to-day basis, how do we respond and how do we approach that darkness? And what does the light of Jesus Christ look like shining in my family or in my community? This is where the Gospels and the New Testament Scripture provide a lot of insight. Because that is the society that Jesus Christ came into. A wicked and debauched society. That's the society the apostles ministered among. When the Apostle Paul went forth into the Roman world, he went into a pagan world where unrighteousness abounded all around. And it no doubt tortured his very soul to walk into the cities that he went into to minister. But how did he minister? He went into the heart of the wickedness of the society and he spoke truth. And he did it in a way that showed the love of Jesus Christ. He didn't look down upon the people, but rather he spoke the truth of God regarding their sin. But he told them, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And the Apostle Paul never set himself up as one who was righteous and holy and stood in his own right. He always led with the reality that he himself was a sinner who didn't deserve the least of God's favors. And yet God blessed him and delivered him and raised him up. And the Apostle Paul looked at every sinner he encountered with the idea that this too may be one whom Jesus Christ would save, whom Jesus Christ would change. The Apostle Paul's approach to ministry did much to insulate him against shipwreck. He was always concerned, he expresses that throughout his words, concerned lest after I have preached to others, I myself should shipwreck, should fall away. What insulated him from that? What protected him from that? First, the knowledge that it could happen. No one of us is above sin, beyond sin, beyond the capability of falling into sin. We need that always abundantly clear to us. And our hatred for sin, our hatred for the acts, the passions, the thoughts of sin, the thoughts that rule in this world around us, they'll insulate us 
from the influence of sin even as we see it in others. Because our hatred for sin itself will fuel the compassion we have for those who are led captive by that sin and by those sinful passions. Our hatred for sin, our knowledge of that reality and the danger that it presents will cause us to desire to deliver those who are led captive to those who are alien to the life of Jesus Christ. Our compassion for them will be fueled by our knowledge of the danger that they are in. The danger that sin presents in every one of our lives. The Apostle Peter understood the reality of this and in his last last letters, his last writings to the New Testament church that we have preserved in his first and second epistle, he writes of the danger of sin and the enemy that's out there. He says, Satan, he walks about like a roaring lion, a lion in the street seeking whom he may devour. And he warns us of this reality. And what does he attach to that warning? A warning against pride. A warning against pride, the prideful zeal that makes us believe that we can stand, that we are free from this danger. Notice in the fifth chapter of First Peter, he says at the end of verse 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be sober and vigilant, free from pride, casting your care upon Him, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter says the enemy's real, the danger's real. The same temptation, the same affliction, the same trouble... It's accomplished throughout the world. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be fueled with a holy fear. Be fueled with a realization that God is going to perfect His work. That God is going to perfect His glory and He's begun that work in you. He will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So what do you do with it? Well, you don't get proud. You don't get lifted up. You don't say, I'm a child of God. I have the truth. I'm a Christian. This whole world, it can burn. I'm good. The disciples, they struggled with that, that temptation, with that problem of pride. You remember when John and James, the sons of thunder, the disciples, the apostles of the Lord, They said, Lord, let us call down fire from heaven and consume the city. How dare they reject you? How dare they reject your ministry? Let us let us destroy them. What's Jesus say? He says, you know not what spirit you're of. Why? Because Jesus had compassion. And Jesus' desire, his his work, his passion in life 
was to preach the truth to all men. And that should be our desire. So in our various circles of influence, from a global global standpoint to a national standpoint, to a local community, to our families and the church, what are we to do? We're to understand and speak truth. We're to declare the truth. We're to proclaim the truth. We're to do it in love, but unwaveringly. And we're to do it with compassion. With compassion fueled by the realization that all men don't know the truth. All men have not heard the gospel that we have heard. And somewhere out there, there are those upon whom the Spirit of God is moving and will move. And there are those who will hear. They will respond. They will receive. So the gospel ministry went out after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they preached the gospel. They preached it everywhere. Throughout the whole world, the Apostle Paul, after years of laboring in churches constituted and established throughout the Roman world, travels to the heart of the empire, to Rome itself. And as was his custom, he always began in any community, in any area, preaching to his brethren, the Jews. He always began in the synagogues and moved out from there. So he arrives in Rome and there he preaches the gospel. And the Jews gather together to hear what he has to say. And they don't like the fact that the message is not exclusive to their people. They don't like the fact that the gospel expands beyond Judaism and reaches the Gentile world. And for this, they reject the preaching of the gospel. Recorded in Acts 28. Verse 17, it came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I've committed nothing against the people or customs of our father, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that I had ought to accuse my nation of, For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you, to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear from thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know everywhere it's spoken against. When they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. When they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, 
and their eyes if they close, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. A lot of reading, I know, just getting the context. Paul comes to the Jews there in Rome. He persuades them from the Scriptures what Jesus is Christ. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That same message message Jesus preached. And many believed, and many believed not. Paul gives scriptural evidence. There's always going to be rejection as well as reception. And that too is according to the will of God. But notice verse 28, Be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Paul's experienced a lot of rejection by this point in his ministry. He's preached the gospel to Jews. He's preached it to Gentiles. It's been believed by some. It's been rejected by many. But his confidence is still strong. What does he say? They will hear it. As we approach an ungodly world, as we approach sin in our families, sin in our own lives, sin in the world around us, there's a lot of discouragement, a lot of reason sometimes to give up hope. But what does the confidence of the Christians say? They will hear it. Paul's not dissuaded. He's emboldened. Why? The salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed, had great reasoning among themselves. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Brethren, rather than being discouraged by the ungodliness that prevails in the world today, the rise of evil, of darkness, rather than being discouraged, we should be emboldened. Why? Well, because it's for this purpose that God has called you. It's for this purpose God has called me. And he's given us an example that we should follow after. The New Testament scripture provides that example. It opens our eyes to what God's purpose is and how he works. We see first in the person of Jesus Christ, the way that he ministered, the way that he blazed a trail as it were for us. We can see it in his reception and in his rejection. The works that he did, they testified of who that he was. And he's given that work to us. In fact, as we'll see later on this morning, Jesus himself prayed what? That the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. Why? Because he said the fields, they're white unto harvest. They're ready to be harvested. There are people of God in a dark and dismal world. And the light of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, shines forth and reveals those whom God has called and calls them, calls them out of the darkness of this world into the light of his marvelous gospel, the light of his dear son. 
And that's how Paul described his ministry. You remember when he stood before Festus and then King Agrippa? That's what he said. God appeared to him to send him forth, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to do what? To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. And that, brethren and sisters, is our calling as Christians, as believers. Starts with knowing his word and then sharing his passion, his zeal, sharing his compassion. Compassion for sinners based on what? The reality, the knowledge that we ourselves are no different than they. We, like the Apostle Paul himself, are less than the least of all saints. But God has given us this grace. It's a grace that compels action. It's a grace that compels service. It's a grace that demands a response. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for the realization that though we are the chief of sinners in our own understanding and we are far from what we ought to be, Father, we thank God that you've worked in us a true and lasting work, giving us the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, and of your word and commanding us to a greater righteousness than we ever could have attained Father, we ask that you continue that work in each of us, that you would purify us, that you would lift us up. And Father, that in so doing, we would be moved with compassion for those who, like us, are in need of a Savior. Father, that we would shine forth the light of your dear Son and of your Word, and we would reach out to those around us. Father, we ask that you'd bless us each, that we might live our lives in a way that everyone that we encounter in each day in our workplace or in our community would be uh, be aware of our knowledge of you and of our life in you. Father, enable us to live in a way that, that proclaims the active work of your Holy Spirit and causes others to inquire after the change that has come over us. Father, we ask that you would give us words to speak, that we would be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that is in us. And Father, that we would declare your truth by the words that we speak, by the things that we do. And Father, move us to action that affects and changes and and helps those who are in need around us, that makes your word something that's vibrant, that's active, that's alive in this community. Father, I thank you for this church and ask that you would continue to be with each of the members here and all those who attend, that you would cause the community of your church in this city to to transform uh, the society in which it lives. And Father, to truly be a light that would shine forth to your glory and honor. I thank you for all of the congregations that meet together in this community and ask that you would work in their leadership, that you would give understanding of your word, that you would cause your truth to prevail and those doctrines which speak against your sovereignty and your power to be to be overturned by the clear teaching of your word. Father, I ask that your word would go forth and that whoever speaks it, whoever lives it, Father, would be a blessing to your people and to your name and this this nation in which we live itself would be transformed by the word of God. We know, Father, that you're greater than any one congregation or one ministry. Father, you've called your people to walk in newness of life. And Father, we ask that that life would would overcome the death that abounds in this world. Father, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.